Our reading for today is 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 to chapter 2, verse 2. Listen now to the word of the Lord. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. This is the word of the Lord. The Lord be with you. Welcome, welcome. Um, please pray with me. Lord, we thank you for your word. And now, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts together be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our God, our rock, our redeemer. Amen. Today we continue our series of sermons on the first of the three short letters of John. Is there a kind of echo? Is it? Okay. No? Mm, should I use a mic? Try something different? Is that okay? It's all right? All right. All right. So last week, uh, I said that the letter deliberately echoes the beginning of the Gospel of John to remind the church that Jesus Christ is the one eternal word of God made flesh whose life, death, and resurrection was witnessed by a cloud of witnesses. This is now being proclaimed, first of all, so that we may have fellowship with God and with one another, and secondly, so that our mutual joy may be made complete. And today's reading, John now adds a third reason on top of those two reasons in writing this message. He writes, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. That is, so that you may not habitually sin. How is this possible? John says, by walking in the light. By walking in the light. Because God is light, he writes. This is the first of two foundational statements about God that John will make in this letter. God is light. It would be difficult to exaggerate the importance of light and light imagery in the Bible. In Genesis 1-3, the very first thing that God creates is light. The very first words spoken by God are, let there be light. Let there be light. God is light, God creates light, and the Bible repeatedly makes this confession. In the Psalms, for example, Psalm 18, it is you who light my lamp. The Lord my God lights up my darkness. Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. 
Whom shall I fear? Psalm 38. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. Psalm 104. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment. For John, it's a very simple dualism. There can be no mixing then of light and darkness. They are mutually exclusive. And in one sense, we know this to be true. If you try to mix darkness and light, the darkest darkness is overcome by even the tiniest flicker of light. Or if it's truly, truly dark, it means that there is no light whatsoever. If God is light, there can be no darkness at all. There is no darkness at all in him. So I know that our lives and the decisions that we have to make are not always so clear-cut between light and dark, but there can be no confusion about God. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And here's what it means for us. Since God is light, in order for us to then have fellowship with God and with the Son, we must also walk in this light, and there can be no abiding in darkness for us. Darkness for John, uh, for John uh, is an ethical or a moral darkness, or more simply, it is sin. Darkness is sin. It is whatever is not of God. And this is the way Jesus explained it to Nicodemus in the Gospel of John, chapter 3. He said, for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So darkness involves sin, it involves doing wicked things, and light, or walking in the light, is doing what is true. That's the choice. It's this two very uh, stark and different ways of living. And it's this presentation that the scripture gives us repeatedly between the way of the wicked and the way of the righteous. And again, you see this throughout scriptures. And remember that the gospel of John began with the words, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And it goes on to say, what has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. John says that this light that comes from God shines in the darkness and that this light is the true light which enlightens everyone. And who is this true light? John says it's the eternal word of God, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And Jesus himself will make this declaration in John 8, 12 when he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This is what John is saying. Jesus claims for himself the words of the psalmist regarding God. God is light, and Jesus says, I am the light of the world. So then it should not surprise us that Jesus calls us, and John calls us then, to walk in the light. Because God is light, Jesus is light, and so we should walk in the light. We are supposed to shine our light, and to walk in the light. It's important to remember, though, that though we shine the light and though we walk in the light, 
we ourselves do not create the light. Jesus is the one eternal word of God, the light of the world from the beginning, but we are not. The light that we have is not self-generated. It is given to us by the grace of God, the Father of lights. James 1.17, every generous act of giving with every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. By our nature, by our new uh, createdness, as the children of God, we are light and we walk in light. And if we are faithful to our identity, we will walk in this light and we will give off light. The Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 5, For once you were darkness, but now in the Lord you are light. Now you are light. We've, we've transferred kingdoms from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Live, he says, as children of light. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. So again, this idea of walking in the light, living in the light, doing what is light uh, is, is right, right? That everything that is good uh, is walking in the light and doing what is right, as opposed to darkness and sin. Robert Fulgham um, tells about attending a seminar one day uh, in Greece and tells this story. He writes, on the last day of the conference, the discussion leader walked over to the bright light of an open window and looked out. Then he asked if there were any questions. Fulgum laughingly asked him what was the meaning of life. Everyone in attendance laughed and started to leave. However, the leader held up his hand to ask for silence and then responded, I will answer your question. He took his wallet out of his pocket and removed a small round mirror about the size of a quarter. Then he explained, when I was a small child during World War II, we were very poor and we lived in a remote village. One day on the road, I found the broken pieces of a mirror. A German motorcycle had been wrecked in that place. I tried to find all the pieces and put them together, but it was not possible, so I kept the largest piece, this one. And by scratching it on a stone, I made it round. I began to play with it as a toy and became fascinated by the fact that I could reflect light into dark places where the sun could never shine. It became a game for me to get light into the most inaccessible places that I could find. I kept a little mirror, and as I grew up, I would take it out at idle moments and continue the challenge of the game. As I became a man, I grew to understand that this was not just a child's game, but a metaphor of what I could do with my life. I came to understand that I am not the light or the source of the light, but light, be it truth or understanding or knowledge, is there and it will only shine in many dark places if I reflect it. I'm a fragment of a mirror whose whole design and shape I do not know. Nevertheless, with what I have, I can reflect light into the dark places of this world, into the dark places of human hearts, and change some things in some people. Perhaps others seeing it will do likewise. This is what I am about. This 
is the meaning of my life. There's some things theologically not quite right there, but I like what he says about, I am not the source of the light, but as I abide in Christ, who is the light, I can reflect that light into the dark places of the world. That's my calling. That's what it is to walk in the light. If we're walking in the light, then we can reflect that light. Now, this is where it gets a little confusing in John because John seems to be making a contradictory claim. On the one hand, those who walk in darkness or have any sin cannot have any fellowship with God. But on the other hand, he says, if we claim that we don't have sin, then we lie to ourselves and we're making God out to be a liar. So how can we both walk in the light without any darkness and yet at the same time confess that we have sin? The key, I think, here is the difference between committing a sin or committing sins as we're walking in the light versus committing sins while we are walking in darkness. You and I can and do frequently fail to live up to God's holiness as we seek fellowship with God. We sin. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's our human condition. You know this. Every day, you know this to be true of yourself and of everyone in your life. Sometimes it's more obvious than other days. But there is a difference between walking in the light and committing sins and walking in the darkness and committing sins. And John is calling us to walk in the light. And the way you do that, the way you can stay in the light, he says, is through confession. What is required of us to walk in the light is ongoing confession. In confession, there is forgiveness and there is fellowship. Now, confession is really hard. It's hard for many, many reasons. But I want to point out what I think are two of the most important ones. I think confession is hard, first of all, because we are by nature proud. We don't like to admit that we are sinners and that we sin. We hate to admit that we are ever wrong. Some of you, it's harder to admit than others. I read a poll about, uh, that was taken a number of years ago, but which still probably holds true. Of the people surveyed, 98% said that they believed in personal sin, and another 57% accepted the traditional notion that all people are sinful. So the majority of people accept the notion of sin and that everyone is sinful. But then, 33% of the people said that they make mistakes but are not sinful themselves. When you take the SATs and you do a math problem and get it wrong, that's a mistake. That's fine. You don't need forgiveness for that, no matter what your parents tell you. (laughs) But when you lie and cheat and steal and hate, and in any other way do not love God and others with your whole being, that is not a mistake. That is a sin. That is a sin. And until it's confessed as sin, not a mistake that you made, but a sin, there can be no forgiveness. 
And if there is no forgiveness, then there can be no fellowship. Some of you may know or be familiar with the comedian Jim Gaffigan. His wife, Jeannie, who works with him, has written a memoir entitled, When Life Gives You Pears, The Healing Power of Family, Faith, and Funny People. The title comes from a life-threatening brain tumor that doctors found in her brain that just happened to be in the shape of a pear. It's an inspiring story of how she dealt with it, getting through it all with family, faith, and funny people. In the book, she tells about how after the brain surgery, she was not allowed to eat anything at all. And they had to attach what's known as a peg tube, which is basically like a, just a tube that they surgically put to the side of your body. And then they, you just syringe like liquid food directly into your stomach. That's how she survived. Uh, they did that for months. And so um, you can imagine that after months of not being able to taste food, right, just going nuts, just smelling food, um, how happy she was when her husband to celebrate their 14th anniversary, finally took her to a restaurant where the chef had prepared a custom-designed five-course liquid meal that she would, allow, that she would be allowed to, uh, to take a few sips. The evening started out great. Then her husband, Jim, innocently asked her if she remembered something specific he did for her while she was in the hospital for those many, many weeks. And she said, I barely remember you at the hospital. Now, what she meant to say was that her time in the hospital was so foggy and confusing that she hardly remembered anything about her stay with any clarity or conviction. In other words, she meant to say that she barely remembered any details about being in the hospital after the surgery. But what Jim, her husband, heard was, I don't remember you being with me at the hospital. And so Jim, as you might imagine, got quite upset. And he said to her, screaming, what do you mean you don't remember? I was at the hospital all the time. And he was. He had made all kinds of sacrifices to be there for her. And he heard, I don't remember you being there at all. She then got upset at him for yelling at her, and she said, you're mad at me because I don't remember every moment of my time when I had life-threatening brain surgery? And then they ate the rest of the meal in silence. I think if we're honest, you know, I know in my life, I could probably spend weeks sharing similar stories about my life and about the people in my life. How many times have we been too stubborn to admit that we were wrong, to confess? Fortunately for them, that was not the end of the story. She writes that she was too stubborn to admit that she was wrong, even though she realized it right away. And she writes, yeah, she did remember his presence and that she will never forget that. It didn't come right away, but it came. That's confession. That's confession. And that leads to forgiveness, and that leads to fellowship. But until we admit that we have sinned, until we agree with God, and that's what really confession is, 
is to say in agreement what God says about sin. It's to agree with God about our condition, about our thoughts, about our behavior. Until we make that confession, there can be no forgiveness. And so the first obstacle toward that is our pride. And there's a second obstacle. Confession is also hard because I think increasingly we have grown too comfortable with our sins. What we might have labeled as a sin in the past, as we grow older, we come to justify as acceptable. I was listening to an interview with Mitt Romney uh, this past week, right before the impeachment vote, and I was really fascinated by what he had to say. He admitted that in the past, he was influenced to vote in a particular way, not because he thought it was the right choice, but because what it might do for him beneficially, politically. I think we all assume that's what politicians do. But it was surprising to just hear someone admit that. And then he went on to say this in a moment of self-reflection. He said, I have found in business in particular, but also in politics, that when something is in your best interest, the ability of the mind to rationalize that that's the right thing is really quite extraordinary. And I'm talking about myself, and I've seen it in others, right? When something is in your personal best interest, the ability of the mind to rationalize that that's the right thing is really quite extraordinary. I think, it's, I think that's right. We all do it. And maybe being aware of that sin- tendency is a step in the right direction. Think about all the small lies you've justified as white lies, that it's okay. Think about all the little cheating you did on homework or tests, justifying it while everyone else is doing it. Think about viewing, you know, just, just a little pornography because well, it doesn't really hurt anyone. Maybe what you used to say, that is so lazy in others, you now relabel as, well, I deserve this well-earned rest. Maybe you used to judge others as being wasteful, as being extravagant in their materialism, but now you justify, oh, it's a good deal and it's a good value, it's a good purchase. Maybe in the name of a soft and sentimental love, we have too easily excused attitudes and behaviors that we still ought to label as sin. I think that over time, we confess less and less, and perhaps we simply stop confessing altogether. Now, this is not to condemn nor to judge, and certainly not, I don't want to be self-righteous here, but to acknowledge, to confess that God calls us to a certain way of life, to walk in the light. There can be no darkness in God. We cannot walk in darkness and have fellowship with God. This isn't to uh, make you feel terrible or guilty this morning, but I want to lead you to acknowledge sin, to make confession, so that there can be forgiveness and fellowship. Without confession, there can be no fellowship. 
fellowship is impossible with God because God is light and there can be no darkness at all. And fellowship with one another becomes impossible because what sin does, it isolates us from one another. It breaks that fellowship. Here's what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says about sin and confession in Life Together. He writes, sin wants to remain unknown. It shuns the light. In the darkness of the unexpressed, it poisons the whole being of a person. This can happen even in the midst of a pious community. In confession, the light of the gospel breaks into darkness and seclusion of the heart. The sin must be brought into the light. The unexpressed must be openly spoken and acknowledged. The expressed, acknowledged sin has lost all power. The expressed, acknowledged sin has lost all power because it is forgiven. So let me ask you today, what is it that you need to confess to God and to one another so that fellowship might be restored, so that we might continue to walk in the light and to shine the light? I know there are all aspects of your life that you need to confess, that I need to confess, but maybe we can start this morning with our attitudes about worship. Is your casual attitude towards Sunday worship something to be confessed? Is it really that impossible to be here every Sunday at 11 a.m.? Or is there some other reason? Is there a reason that you don't sing the praise songs? Is it because your singing voice is terrible? Or is there something else going on? Can we confess that our worship of God deserves greater attention? Now, the good news is this, that when we sin, and despite our sins, we can have fellowship with God and with one another. God has provided a way. God is always ready to forgive. God is always prepared for reconciliation because of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the remedy for sin when it is confessed. He cleanses us from all sin. He is the propitiation that is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and for the sins of the whole world. And like the Holy Spirit, he advocates on our behalf to the Father. That's the good news. We have the promise that when we confess our sins, that is when we acknowledge our sins, that is when we agree with God about what God says is sin, then there is forgiveness. We can be cleansed from all unrighteousness, Because God is faithful and God is just. This is not to say that, you know, as long as we mechanically repeat some words of confession that we are forgiven. But it is to invite us to come to God, to trust God to do what is right. Because of what Christ has done for us. It's not that we are able to make perfect confession, nor that we are sincere or fervent enough in our confession, nor that we are able to somehow then make up for our sins in the future. We are forgiven simply because of God's faithfulness and the depth of the suffering that Christ has suffered on our behalf.
That's the promise. That's the good news. This may sting a little, but you know, most of you are in the habit of coming regularly into this space of worship a little late. Now, that's bad for many reasons. It's not just a pet peeve on my part. But one of the reasons why it's bad is that when you come late, you miss out on the time of confession. You miss out on the time when you can confess your sins and then hear a word of reassurance that your sins are forgiven in Jesus Christ. It's an important word. It's an incredibly important word to hear. At least once a week, you need to confess your sins and hear those words of forgiveness. You got to hear it. I know I need to hear it. Like I know in your minds, you know that you're forgiven and that you have salvation in Christ. I know you know that in sort of in sort of the big picture. But the call of discipleship to walk daily in the light, to shine the light, requires of us confession. With confession, there is forgiveness. And with forgiveness, there is fellowship. So come on time. Confess your sins. Be forgiven. And hear the specific words of forgiveness as you confess your specific sins. That's the only way to walk in the light. That is the only way to have fellowship with God and with one another. Listen again to the words, to the good news. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just, and he will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Believe the good news and be at peace. Let's pray together. Lord, we confess that we sometimes and too often intentionally and maybe unintentionally choose darkness over light. We confess that we have failed to live as light and in the light. We confess that we have failed to confess. But in making this confession, Lord, we choose once again to walk in the light. Though inadequately and imperfectly, we choose this day to walk in the light of your word and in the light of the eternal word, our Lord Jesus Christ, who makes intercession for us so that in confession we have forgiveness and cleansing from all unrighteousness. Help us to walk in your light and shine your light so that others may see and give glory to you and that we might have fellowship. We look toward the day that Isaiah saw. No longer will you have the sun for light by day, nor for brightness will the moon give you light, but you will have the Lord for an everlasting light and your God for your glory. The sun will no longer set, nor will your moon wane, for you will have the Lord for an everlasting light. God, we look forward today, forward to the day when this promise 
will be fully realized. When the city will have no need of sun or moon, for the glory of God will be the light. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.